we turn our attention now to <clears throat> our time in the Word. This is um, a very important thing that we're going to talk about today because it is, uh, is not only an understanding, a deeper understanding of, of the things in the Scripture and God's principles and His ways, but it's also a, a clarion call for our Saints Network for where we are and where we're going to be uh, going together in the next few months. The title of this message is The Feast, and that incidentally is going to be the title of our seminar in September. And we're going to talk today about what that means in the scripture, why God established a directive for this kind of a thing among his people as a principle. And thirdly, we're going to be gaining some measures of uh, further clarification of who we are as saints. And I think all, these, all of these things are imperative in the heart of our Father. And there's a reason that he is directing us to this during this season, especially this time of transition into what our nation and our world are facing right now. And so I know that this has been a very unique time spiritually and in the physical realm. This past year and a half has been a focal point of this transition, but God has been talking to us about this, this moving into a new horizon for the past few years. And I, I think that there have been so many things that God has been doing in our own lives uh, and in the their various outposts of the saints, it's, a, it's been a measure of perfection and alignment. It's been points of promotion. It's been points of, of change in some very definitive ways. But it, that's all been happening for the purpose of positioning us for what, what we're responsible to be doing in the days to come. Some of you have been repositioned and established. Others are in the midst of that transition still. And some of you are, are being transitioned personally, even though in the natural, not a whole lot has changed. But, but regardless of where you individually may be, the point is, is that this factor in the timetable of God is being accomplished in, in a lot of ways. And we're all in the, in the midst of that. And so I recognize that when we come together here in September uh, for our Saints Network Fall Seminar, it's, it's really a unique thing because we were prohibited from meeting in person as an in-gathering in March. And to be able to come together here in September is, is a wonderful thing. It's, it's like an in-gathering in so many ways where um, folks are, 
for are making plans even now to be back here. But it's not just to be back here. It's a statement in the Lord. It's, it's, it's a, it really is like what God said to his people when he said, according to what Exodus 23, 14 says, three times that you, a year you will keep a feast unto me in the year. Those three, of course, we've talked about many times in the past. It's really not the objective of our teaching today. But those three were with Passover, the Pentecost, the first fruits, and, and the tabernacles, and what they represented. Now, you know, the Passover, yes, of course, it's about the, 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 the application of the blood and redemption, but it really speaks about us being positioned to go toward the new and to be the firstborn sons of the Most High in going forth, making that determination to go forth into the new land, the land of promise, where God has called us. And that is, that is the framework. And then Pentecost and the first fruits, you being committed there in that seal of pro progression to give your very best to God and to move in the power of the Holy Spirit as the ecclesia, those called out to be God's representatives in his kingdom. And then the third is, is the tabernacles where you go and you actually establish places uh, and you take a stand there where you welcome the glory of God and you prepare a place for him. You know, that is the principle. It's the threefold principle of these feasts. And God did this every year. Uh, they said three times a year you need to come, uh, you're, the males particularly, but you need to be representative from all the places where God has established you so that you can remember what your identity is, that you don't lose sight of what he's called you to be as a peculiar people, that you keep that threefold focus in place. Now, there were other feasts. There were other things that the people would do as unto the Lord, but those three are really a principal identity. And that principle is still, that was a type. And we are, as saints, patterning that and doing that now. And so I state that as we come together in September and leading up to that time, we are reaffirming that identity uh, of what God's called us to be in these end times. And we are asking God to, uh, to commune with us, to convene with us, and to impart to us what we need uh, in order to, to be his agents in the places where we stand and in the places where we'll be going. And so... That's the onus of our gathering in September, and God will be saying more and more about that as those days come. But I would just say that you need to make your plans if possible, and I know this may be a bit difficult for those of you who are overseas, but you'll still be with us whether you can be here in person or not. But those of you who have the freedom and the wherewithal to travel, you need to make your plans to be here. Um, September 14th, that Tuesday, I don't know what we'll be doing on that day, but it would be great if you could be here by then. 
And then, of course, the rest of that week, the 15th through the end of the week, is seminar times as usual. Uh, but it's going to be a, a gathering that is of great consequence in these times. Now, there are a lot of things that are happening in the spirit realm and in, 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 in international dimensions right now. Uh, I have been, I've been studying at the direction of the Lord a lot of different things, um, reading vociferously lots of books, new, new things that are out, not from a Christian perspective necessarily, but um, from writers in, in, um, in various places of uh, higher learning uh, concerning what's happening right now across the world with people who are seeking encounters with God. In fact, I, I just received four books yesterday from a professor at Rice University. Uh, I didn't get them from him, but I ordered them because the Lord directed me to what he's teaching on. He's basically speaking about encounters in the spirit realm and how God is wanting people to have them. And, and, he, and he's citing a lot of times over the history that we've all lived where people who have had epiphanies in the spirit realm, from Mark Twain to Nobel Prize winners who, who had inventions, uh, to Einstein, to, to a number of different people, and he's suggesting that, this is, that mankind was created for this and that we need to be open to it. And I think that's very interesting because this is not coming from a Christian perspective. And so I read one of those books yesterday, and I intend to read the other three sometimes in the next couple of days. Um, but that's on the heels of some other things that the Lord has had me reading about that has been a scholastic pursuit. I've mentioned this, uh, writings from Christian people, but who aren't necessarily spirit-filled. And I think that a year and a half, two years ago, we were studying and seeing how Many in the progressive movement have gone over into um, false doctrines and, and false gods and, and have been saying that the Word of God is not really worth much, that there are other writings that are equal to it, that Buddhism and Hinduism and Taoism and any other kind of ism is equal to the voice of God. It's all the same truth. You can remember we talked about that. So what I'm saying is, there is a cry right now for the, the people of God to recognize that God's Spirit is being poured out on all flesh. We have the truth from the Word. We have the calling of the Lord, but there is a, a rising tide floats all boats, and there is a hunger right now for people of all persuasions, no matter where they live, there's a hunger to have encounters with God. They just don't know what it is. In fact, it's funny because I had read through this book yesterday, and um, I, I just felt like I should just, I felt the Spirit influence me to, um, to go online and just see what people had said about this one book that I'd read. I'm not advocating that you read this book. It's not important for you to read it. But I heard a podcast of two professors from England who were talking about this book. 
And these guys were one from Cambridge, the other from another university that I didn't recognize. And they were not Christian people. And they were talking about how the same thing is happening throughout England and throughout the United Kingdom. And that in scholastic uh, avenues, there are people who are awakening to a, uh, people who are scientists, people who are, who are very pragmatic in their thought, who have dismissed religion and who have dismissed um, anything to do with the supernatural as a farce. And suddenly there's awakening across the spectrum that there is something beyond what they know. They just don't know what it is. And they're having, many people are having visions, many people are having as what they call epiphanies, or the key word now, if you've not heard this word, get ready. Probably in two years there'll be some uh, teaching in some conference, but it's called the flip, F-L-I-P, where they, they have an encounter like this in, from something beyond them, and their mentality flips, and they, they, have a, um, uh, they have a change of thought, a very creative change of thought. And one of the things that I read about in this book yesterday was that Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, had written two works that really didn't gain much acclaim from him, wherein he was citing a number of times in his life where these types of things had happened. The most unique one was he had, a, he had an active dream about his brother's death. It had not happened yet. And he woke up out of that dream thinking it had happened, and he thought, oh, I just, I don't know what happened to me. I thought this was true. And then just a few weeks later, the very things that he'd seen transpired. And then he had a number of these, and he wrote one major article about how this was happening back then. So I'm going to get a hold of that and read it. Not because, not because we certainly need something beyond the Scripture. We have the true, we have the whole. But it's being aware of what other people around the world, people who are, who are really seekers, are experiencing and encountering to be familiar with their terminologies from the aspect of the truth so that as we speak, we can speak into them. And you say, well, why do we need that, brother? We just need to be speaking of the Word. Well, I agree with that. I agree with that sentiment. But when Jesus would teach, the Bible says several times he knew their thoughts. When the scribes and the Pharisees and the doctors of the law came down, he knew what they had been speaking and teaching. How did he know that? Was it just a divine revelation, or do you think Jesus was actually a scholar? I think both. I think he had to be. So it's not that we want to keep digging in all kinds of other stuff. I try to stay away from that, as you well know that, because I don't want to be teaching somebody else's stuff. I don't even want to be influenced by it. I want to be saying, Lord, what you say to us, let it come straight from your heart through your word. But I want to be aware of this hunger that's happening throughout the places that God's going to be directing us to so that I can speak into them and I can understand what they're saying. And if there's an area where they are dabbling in the demonic, I can point out, you did well here, but you need to stay away from this. So anyway, uh, I just think it's very interesting. You see, you see today across our country um, this, um, this hidden yet very pronounced angle towards socialism. 
yesterday when I was on the treadmill, I watched the very beginning of uh, Dr. Zhivago. I haven't seen the beginning of that movie for a long time. And I don't ever watch the whole thing because it's like three hours long. Some of you have seen it. But I was watching it, and I was hearing what they were saying about what was happening in Moscow and in the, the Russian Revolution. And it was amazing how many of the things that they were saying right there we hear on the media every day, every day. And um, you, you remember in that movie that uh, Omar Sharif's brother was a, a Bolshevik power. And this, he was played by uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And, and it was interesting, some of the conversations they had, and I thought, I might as well be watching a debate between Fox News and CNN right now because they're saying the very things. And, and if you can see what's happening in our country today, you can see that God is really positioning his saints to welcome a visitation of the Spirit in the midst of a chaotic time. And so um, I, I'm just amazed about where God has brought us and where he's put us and what, what we as saints are supposed to be. So, the feast. Three times a year we spoke about this principle, but we want to look at something that God said to Moses in Exodus 23, verse 17, and it is reiterated in Exodus 34. Uh, verse 17 of Exodus 23, three times in the year, all thy males shall appear before Adonai Yahweh. And then in Exodus 34, he reiterates this thrice, I like that word, in the year shall all your men appear, Ra, before Adonai Yahweh, the Elohim of Israel. I will cast out the nations before you, a larger borders, neither shall any man desire your land. When you go up, shall go up to appear before the Lord your God thrice in the year, thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, neither shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left under the morning. The first of the first fruits of the land you will bring into the house of the Lord, and you shall not seethe a kid in his mother's milk. I think that's very interesting. We've taught on that in the past, and it's said the same thing in the remainder of the chapter, uh, chapter 23, where God says that his angel's going before you. You're going to walk in health. He's going to send hornets to help you. Little by little, you'll take the land, and you won't seethe uh, a kid in the mother's milk. Remember, we taught about that. We've talked about the power of the sprinkling of the blood, but this was a demonic thing where you would see the, uh, the ch uh, a baby of, uh, uh, of a goat, and then you would take that with the milk, and you would sprinkle it, and through that you would say, I am offering a first fruits of sorts so that the demonic can, can work there. That is so interesting. That is so interesting. So God promises that if you do these three things, he's going to give you dominion in your land of promise. And God promises that you're going to be partnering with the angelic. You're going to be working uh, in, in health and provision. You're going to be gained uh, incredible supernatural um, interventions like the hornets that will drive out the enemy. 
And, and it'll be little by little. It won't be all one fell swoop. It will be gradual. And if there's one thing we've seen about how the saints are being woke, awakened around the world, it's been that way and continues to be that way. But the two things that I think we, we really need to see is what it means to appear before the Lord and then what a feast really is scripturally and what God meant by what he said. So appear is our old friend Ra. And I put a definition of this, a workable definition for you at the end of the, the second page there. But Ra is what is also translated as a seer. Ra is as a, a shepherd. And we have equated this with the teacher in the Old Testament. And we talked about how Samuel was first called a seer, and then now he's a, a prophet. And we've talked about that. But here is the definition of Ra'ah. And you tell me, first of all, if this isn't a teacher, and secondly, this is what we're to do when we appear before God at these ingatherings. To become aware, to perceive or ascertain, an intellectual seeing, to examine or supervise, to observe in order to align or emulate. This is a strong measure of assuming responsibility for what is being placed before you. So it's not just simply saying, oh yes, I'm discerning between the tobe and the raw. That is true. It's not just saying, oh, I'm being guided by God. That is true. It's not just saying I'm being warned by God. That is true. But the essence of this is that you're not just experiencing and encountering, but you are processing and you are being taught by God in a sense of responsibility and in a sense of gaining clarity as to what it is you're doing. And that's the essence of the teacher. And that's how the prophet and the teacher work together in launching the apostolic. So when God says, I want you to come together, notice he doesn't say, I want you, he doesn't say nothing against prophets or apostles or evangelists or pastors. But he doesn't say, when you come together in this feast, I want you all doing these other things. He says, when you come, I want you to gain an understanding of what I'm doing among you. I want you to experience, yes, but I want you to also gain a sense of responsibility. And I want you to be impacted by what you sense in your understanding. And that's why years ago, when, when God was really walking with us in the first stages of what he was doing among us as a saint, I remember I was speaking one time up here, and the Lord just had me say this. It was more like a covenant from him. That every time we come together in this house, God is going to show us something from his word that we've never seen before. Every time. And that is what it means, really, to be walking in appearance before God. To make an appearance, to appear before God. And I remember, I almost said his name, but we had a, a very, we have a very dear brother who's in a, 
very important position in the Assemblies of God in Springfield, and he was with us in a seminar, and, and it was, I had said this, and he was somewhat stunned by it. And he said, Brother, do you realize what you've just said? And I said, well, God's been faithful to it. He's always showing us something new in his word, and I'm always amazed at how after all these years, there's something we've not seen before. It's something that's imperative for the moment. And he said, do you realize how rare that is? He said, that, that has to be a miracle that is comparison with any other miracle, no matter how great it would be. But that really is an essence of, of how you come together before God at these three times. You appear. You appear but not just show up. You are entering into that raw of understanding and gaining an insight and, and taking responsibility for it and applying it. To me, that has been a signature of the saints, and I'm grateful for it. I wouldn't have it any, I don't know how we would have functioned in any other way. But I think you appear before Adonai Yahweh. What does that mean? You should know this. When we speak about Yahweh, we speak about the plan of God, what his plan is. When we speak about Adonai, we speak about every person being where they're supposed to be, doing what they're supposed to do under the lordship of God Almighty. And even in, you're going to see that I, I provided here, we're going to talk about the feast and the saints here in a minute. But as I was studying through these lexicons, I, I noticed how many times in the more obscure places they have confirmed what God said to us a long time ago, that, that this Adonai in the Old Testament aligns amazingly with what it is to be Lord in the New Testament, Curio. And they, they link that together over and over again. And so if you come before God, and, and then it says the, the Elohim of Israel, you're saying I'm appearing before God who has a plan, and I'm going to fill my place that he has created me to fill, and I'm going to be faithful in that. And then as I do that, I'm going to be walking with the heart of God. That's what we appear to. That's what we ra'ah to, and that's what God requires. That's what God requires. I think that's a wonderful thing, don't you? And God is so good to us. So what does the feast mean? Now, we've talked about these things before. We're just reiterating them, and we're proclaiming them in this season to remind everybody about what God's really asking us to do throughout this season coming into September. Um, we've taught on what this word is, and just before we read these, we're going to read what's before you there. Uh, I want to just remind you of what God said to us all along. Um, this is from, this word feast is formed off the root of what the New Testament word is for holy or saint, and it it speaks about um, being a person who commits yourself to 
restoring the plan of God that has been either abandoned, corrupted, made ugly, uh, or, or twisted in some way. And your desire is to partner with God as he directs to bring that into alignment with what he wants. Now, that's what we've said for a long time, and it is true. It is absolutely true. I, I've been saddened over the past year and a half by some who have gone off into a progressive work that have openly stated that that definition is not really accurate. And they have then deconstructed and tossed it away to accept some other definition that has more to do with uh, social enterprises or philanthropic um, pursuits of benevolence. Well, let's see what the Scripture continues to verify about what you're called to be as a saint and what it means to walk in holiness. Let's look from some specific... I, I plucked these straight out of some of the most... This is not all of them. I just didn't want to fill pages with them, but these are pretty good. Let's look at this. The defining of Chag from the CWSB. This is a masculine noun indicating a cleft or a place of concealment, clefts in a rock or rocky area. It is a secret place away from crowds for two lovers, but also a strategic location for armies and one's enemies to hide and to fight. Now this is a this is kind of a different twist on but it all fits together as to what this root of the saints is. And I was thinking the Lord stirred this in my thinking this morning one of the verses that was read in um, in Sunday school was about Peor, Baal Peor, P E O R and and it just suddenly the Spirit started to talk to me about that word. And um, do, you, do you recognize that that word means the cleft of a rock? And that's where Balaam went to, at the end, to curse Israel from that place. Do you realize that that is... Um, that is a place where as soon as Israel entered the land, uh, they went, God told them to go to this place. Of course, after Gilgal and Jericho. But, but they, they went, and on Gerizim is pure. Gerizim is pure. And it was the Mount of Blessing. And it was a proclamation. And then later on, when... Um, these are just things you can look up. Um, when Gideon had brought about the, the victory over the Midianites, you know, Gideon was a very prolific father. He had 70 kids. <laughs> I can't believe that. Dennis, that's your next. Uh, you and Tammy work on, no, not on that, but on what comes next. You know, you read the story about Jotham who got up and made the, the proclamation from Peor about the, the various trees and who would rule over. You remember what, the, what was happening with that? That was Gideon's youngest son. And his brother 
Abimelech killed all the other sons one by one on one specific rock. Can you believe how gross that is? He gathered all those sons of the one who brought deliverance to Israel, and he killed each one of them one by one on that rock. And Jotham somehow uh, survived and went to this particular place and gave that declaration about who would rule over them, and then he got away. I just think that's interesting, all this same place. And then you, you remember that, remember the time then when Phinehas took the spear and plunged the spear through uh, the, the ones that had, uh, had intermarried, and God gave him a covenant of peace? It was at this place. And then finally, Jesus met the woman at the well, there. And she was saying, okay, which of these mountains, Ebal or Gerizim? And it was there that Jesus spoke that signature work about proskuneo. And he spoke about the Father searching for this. And my point in saying all this is there's more about the cleft of the rock than we recognize. You know, Moses was up and he said, let me see your glory. And God says, you're not going to see your glory. It's amazing to me how many Christian songs are always singing about, let me see your glory. When God says, you're not going to do it, we'd be better singing, get in the cleft of the rock and stand to the covering of my hand. But he was there in the cleft of the rock. That's where Moses was. And, and God calls us to find that place of commune with him. And I just think it's very interesting that then when Moses is getting ready to bring the people in, here's Balaam, and where he finally goes is to the Sumerian cleft of the rock, and he, he gets to talk about what we need to do to divide Israel and how to destroy them. I think right now in our world, in our nation today, there is a people that God is calling to be in the cleft of the rock, but there are a lot of people that the enemy has in his cleft of the rock, and his decision to bring them there is to bring prophetic words of division, prophetic words of strife, and, and prophetic words of how to destroy what God is really wanting to do. That throughout the Old Testament was a, it's not often talked about, but it's the battle of the clefts of the rock. It's a battle of or whether you're going to be what God wants in that secret place hidden under his hand, partnering with his glory, or you, whether you're going to be where Balaam wants you to be. And if you look at it, how many times then in the Scripture, from Joshua on through, did he say, you're still paying for the, for the curse at Baal Peor. You're, you're still paying for that. It's over and over again. But it's this issue, not about so much the words, but about the essence of from where those words came from. And that's what we're dealing with today as saints. So one of the definitions of this word, chag, I'm getting back to it now, and I think this is a, a, an essence of the saints, is that hiding place in God where we meet with God as his love and he with us and where we are there for the purpose of coming together in partnership with him to to be ready to know him and to engage with him in what he wants us to be, but also to prepare for war, to prepare for battle by the directions, to tr the strategic direction of God. And that which we've not really focused on much at all 
regarding what the identity of the saints are, that is imperative for us. That, that is an operative of where we are right now. But let's look at some other things. From the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, the root chag could then have had the original meaning to turn in circles, to become dizzy, to leap or dance, giving rise to the chag in the sense of sacred round dance, cultic progression about the altar. And this would be evidence that this derivation is correct. On the basis of the context, stick with me, the word means terror, a concept not far removed from swaying, reeling, growing dizzy. The contrasting suggestion that the de de denominative hog is to celebrate or dance. So let's look at this. We've talked about the connection with the chul and the circular dance and how that is a prophetic demonstration. But what makes these ones dance at this time? It's not just because, oh, I'm going to do it because I see it in the Scripture. It's because in that moment where God is bringing his presence forth and you feel the overwhelming presence of God and it's that confluence of change and turn as, as the kingdom is being asserted that that is a dizzying effect. On the one hand, the enemy is in terror. On the other hand, you're a bit shaken up yourself and you're swaying and moving about and then you apply yourself in this way. It's almost by a reaction to the glory of God that you move in the way his spirit is moving, the circular measure of, of creation or restoration. I just think that's very interesting, don't you? But the enemy even is, 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 is put into a position of terror, and you feel, maybe that's what's going on right now. Uh, so many of you, including me, have said, this is such a strange time. I, I, you, you feel the presence of the Lord, but you feel a bit unsettled. You feel the presence of the Lord, but you feel as if, man, there's, there's such a stirring of the waters. It's hard, to, it's hard to really gauge what's going on. Well, guess what? That's a description of what this feast is. It's not just that we, we get our dance moved down, even though this is a prophetic thing, and the chul then is really a response to this. It's what's been birthed by this covenant partnership with God, and then you remember that. It's kind of like the ra'ah. You say, hey, wait a second. What was God doing? How was his spirit affecting me? It's just like so many other times where we in this house and in other places, God's spirit has me on my face. I can't hardly get up. I can't get away. Well, what does that mean? Let's take an intellectual responsibility for it. Thus says the Lord. Here it is in the word. And then we say, because this happens, we know the Father is searching for this. We have done this. We've done, and then we teach. And now we, we say, okay, this is what we do and why we do it. But this point of the feast is God bringing us together to remember who he is, what his plan is, what our position is, but also to encounter a positioning for the going forward. And part of that atmosphere is this measure where we are sensing something mighty happening. You know, you say, well, the enemy sure does act like he's in charge. The enemy sure is aggressive right now. 
Well, a rattlesnake is aggressive when you come into the territory. You get around a, a, a wasp nest, and they're going to be aggressive. The enemy's aggressive right now because he senses God is about to move. And it's, it's that coming in one way before he flees in seven. He's going to try to divert. He's going to try to distract. He's going to try to confuse. He's going to try to subvert before God releases what is going to put him to flight. So when the enemy's in terror, you should expect, not that we welcome this, I'm not proclaiming this, you should expect some kind of reaction. And you shouldn't be confused by it. So in, in a way, it should be, you know, think about when Israel was marching around the walls of Jericho, and they were silent. What were the people up on those walls doing? Give them the old Bronx cheer, you know, you know, like Monty Python slapping the head, sending cows over the walls, you know. Uh, no, that wasn't there. I do not understand his calls over the wall. But, you know, the enemy was mocking. They were yelling. They were, they were making statements. What happened when Rebshekah came during the time when um, the foreign army surrounded Jerusalem and Hezekiah was there and he sent out his men with the, with the key of David? Rabshakeh was there saying all kinds of things to the people in their language. You know, we're going to destroy you. We've taken out nations bigger than you. By this time, you're going to be doing this. And what eventually happened? Who won that? So just because we see the enemy doing whatever it is he's doing, and just as because it is troubling, and it is troubling, we should recognize that it's because he sees God is about to move. Now, we recognize that, but we also must appear before God. And this is important for us to see. Look at, um, look at that, that last little word there. It is more reasonable, however, to associate the word with Jewish Aramaic, which means to fear, trembling, or to be ashamed. That's interesting. Look at page two. There's another writer a commentator in that same article, he says he takes somewhat of a different etymology or the development of words as to the starting point of definition. According to his theory, uh, forgive these big words, we're going to get to something you understand here. Originally bilateral root of hog with the basic meaning round, circular, crooked, warped, twisted, develop into a form of or description of a circle. Now, remember when we said that this is something that we're restoring that was ugly or was twisted? And a lot of folks said, where are you getting that? Where are you getting that? I don't see that. I can't teach that. Well, here it is. And it was there all along. The Jewish Aramaic Chag means to surround or protect. Uh, it the finally dance. Then the secondary meaning of a celebration of a festival. And then he goes on to say, even in the very earliest civilizations, joyous events were celebrated, such as births, marriages, or the triumphant return from a battle or hunt. The festivities bore the character of apotropaic 
magic since they were meant to ward off danger and guarantee future success. Now, I don't care what the ancient civilizations said, but for us, we should know that when God convenes something like this, what we've already said is going to happen will happen, but it is partly also to say anything the enemy tries to do is going to be warded off and we are going to be guaranteeing future success from being there. The last part is from Brown, Driver, and Briggs, which is a more concise thing than some of these other works. There was another, there were two others that were saying basically the same thing, but man, they took pages to say it. I just gave you things that clarified it. Here's what Brown, Driver, and Briggs says. Chaka, reeling. Isaiah 19:17, the land of Judah shall become to Egypt a reeling. Egypt shall reel in terror at the sight of it. That's interesting. And if you if you were to look at that and and uh, and continue to uh, to explore the other places where this is used, you find that the enemy, no matter how big, in the midst of this visitation from God, will reel. What causes all of this? I'm almost done now, but what causes all of this? What's all this business of being overwhelmed and enemy in terror and spinning around and swaying back and forth? What causes it? It's that when God begins to move, this is what happens. It's not just so you have a manifestation. It's not just so you feel something you've never felt before. It's not any of that. It's just that you are a covenant son. He is calling you to a principled meeting with him so that you align according to his plan and what you're called to be, and you partner in his heart. And when he says, this is what we're gathering for, He's going to begin to do things. You're going to sense the atmosphere of his majesty and his power. You are going to learn and understand things that you've never seen before. You are then going to take intellectual, through the study of the word, responsibility for what he shows you that you've never seen before. And then you're going to emerge as a mighty army to go forth in battle. And again, I say, after God says three times in a year, all your males shall ra'ah before Adonai Yahweh, read through the end of that chapter and read what uh, Exodus 34 says. We just read it. It's about conquest on behalf of what his promise is in the land that you've been called to take. Our land is what Jesus said is the uttermost parts of the earth. Our Moses is Jesus, the greater one. You will be witnesses. You will take my message, my identity, and you will lay your life down, Marturia, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. That is the tabernacle of David. That is the Gentile church. And that's what you and I are called to do. And that's what God has been preparing us for. We've never, the world has never seen a time like this. I hope you realize this. Oh, yes, there have been, 
the bubonic plague. There have been other types of things. The Spanish flu from, I guess it's not racist to say that, from 1913 through 1917. Um, you had lots of different things that have happened in history, but never anything that has impacted the world like what we've seen. And the way things have just stopped, were stopped. It's incredible. This nation has never seen anything like this. Some nations are still in the grip of it. But God has used this to, first of all, say, this is a time like no other time. I am ready to move. I, I, he's been doing things in all of our lives, getting us positioned and ready. And now for the saints, God says, you're going to have a convening, a coming together, and it's going to be wonderful. It'll be good to see everybody again. It'll be, and of course, again, I know some of you listening are in other countries. It'd be great. Maybe the Lord will open the door for you to be here. I don't know. Who knows what he can do in the next couple months? But we're having an in-gathering, and it's by the directive of the Lord. And whether you can be here in person or not, if you can, be great, but if, you, if you're not able to be, you are here through this miracle equipment that God has given, as Les was talking about earlier. And God is going to do something during this time where all of these things that we've talked about today are going to be highlighted, and it's going to impact us, and it's going to position us to go forward. I love that first one, which, again, I saw this early on, you know, it was big enough at the time to get the people of God to embrace what it meant to be a saint just <laughs> on the surface. You mean there's a difference between this and what is holiness? What do you mean you're going back to turn things? That's crazy. Oh, this is different. I don't understand that. What is this? You don't know the battles we had when we went into Belgium and France with people who were arguing about the fact that we shouldn't call ourselves saints. You remember those? Luke and Sylvie, know, Monica knows that very clearly. We shouldn't call ourselves saints because it's too confusing. It's just too confusing. People think you're dead. Well, we are dead. <laughs> it was crazy. I don't know how many discussions we had. But, but the point is that this first one about being in the cleft, that describes our base of operations under the covering of his hand. And it's in this place that God then directs. And I think it's worthy to note that throughout the Old Testament, especially since, since um, Moses, this cleft business was not only where God communed and laid out the identity of the people, but the enemy also was operative in that place. We're seeing that today, too. God is good. And I pray that you can gain the gravity of what God is saying to us in this moment and what, what he's going to be doing over these next few months and what, um, what it's going to mean for us to be together here as a saint's family uh, not only here in this place, but around the world in September. What's coming next? Only God knows. But he does know.
and we're going to be impacted and we're going to we're going to have a raw experience with our God and I'm looking forward to that so in the meantime I speak blessing over each one of you and I I speak blessing over where you are right now in the spirit realm before God because you have been uniquely created and put on this earth at this moment of time to serve the Father. And I call that forward now. And I, I speak blessing over that. I speak blessing over every one of you. And whatever it is, wherever you are in your progression, don't lose sight of the main things. The, the most important thing, the priority in God. And may you be blessed. May God provide exactly what you need. May he bring, what are these things? The angels of the Lord to guide you. Health, strength, provision, favor. But most importantly, that commune with God that is priceless because that's the heart of the feast. And that's the heart of the saint. And truly, that directs us to the heart of our God. So I speak that blessing. And I ask you, Father, that you will guide each one of us and guide this family of saints around throughout the world in the steps we should take. Watch over us. Keep us from going off track. But keep us focused for you. And help us to hear what you're saying. And I, I thank you. I thank you for this privilege. Help us to be worthy in your eyes for what you've asked us to do and appointed us to do. So, Father, we love you, and we, uh, we ask all of these things in the precious and powerful name of our Lord Jesus. We call it to be done in his name. Amen. 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 Well, God bless all of you. And um, thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, we'll look forward to being with you this week as the, the various points of ministry go forward. Goodbye. God bless.